Allie and the Experts Week on the Allie on the Run show is brought to you by Strava. Welcome to Allie and the Experts Week. I am so excited about this special series featuring seven episodes in seven days with seven different experts. We'll be covering body stuff, relationship stuff, money stuff, mind stuff, and so much more, all with legitimate experts in their fields, giving straight answers to the questions you sent in in droves on Instagram stories. In total, I received more than 1,400 questions for Allie and the Experts Week, so we won't be getting to all of them, obviously, but that enthusiasm is awesome, and it may be enough to convince me to make this a regular thing. Today, we're kicking it all off with one of the greatest, smartest, prettiest running coaches on the planet, Mary Johnson. You know her from Instagram as It's a Marathon. She's a 306 marathoner, a 125 half marathoner, a USATF certified coach, and the founder of Lift Run Perform. So if you like what you hear today, head to liftrunperform.com and hire Mary or one of her very talented coaches to help you reach your running goals. Now let's let Mary answer all of your running related questions. Mary Johnson, Coach Mary Johnson, I'm so excited to have you here joining me for Q&A week. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's first introduce yourself to everyone. Well, you I mean, you're a coach, you know. On the Alley on the Run show, we start with a warm-up. Do you approve of that? <laughs> I love warm-ups. <laughs> Yay, I figured you might. So warm everyone up. First, just tell us who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do. My name is Mary. I live in currently Connecticut. My I I was grew up outside of Syracuse, New York, so I have a lot of central New York pride. Um, but I'm I currently reside right outside of New Haven, Connecticut. I am a running coach. I'm a strength coach. I write things on a blog every now and then. But most importantly, the coaching is what I really do. Um, and I have a cat and a husband, but most importantly, a cat. <laughs> and I have a cat. All right. But the reason you're here today is because of the coaching. So before we get into, we are about to throw about a billion running questions at you, which I'm so excited about it. to pick your brain. Uh, but first, can you give us kind of, you know, with some things I call it a disclaimer, like I'm not a doctor, but, but yeah. give us your, you know, what is your, what are you certified? What makes you an expert as a coach? Yeah, so I'm a, a USATF level one certified coach. Um, I'm also studying for my CSCS exam, which is the certified strength and conditioning specialist. Obviously, life makes studying hard, so I've pushed it out a couple times, but it is a goal that I'm going to achieve. And then, in terms of disclaimers, I so like I. I love that these questions are rapid fire. It's going to be great, but a lot of them are like very specific to like people and their specific like cycle or whatever. Um, so I think instead of me say, like introing every question with like, well, it depends. Right. I'm just going to say up front, like all of the answers to these questions are usually going to be like, it, it's de it depends on your situation because um, that's just how A, the body is and also training. Right. Is. And so I'm excited. All of these questions came to us via Instagram. I put out a feeler that you were coming on. People are very excited to hear from you. And yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of these are because it was Instagram, you're limited to so many characters. So yeah. we don't know everyone's background, how many miles a week people are running. So obviously uh, take this advice as it applies to you. And we're all about to learn a lot. So if you're ready, let's jump right in. I'm ready. All right. We're going to start off with a couple of personal questions and general coaching questions. So first, tell us, how did you get into coaching? 
Originally, I um, used to have a job right out of college in fashion marketing, um, and I ended up getting laid off. Um, It'll be about four years, which is crazy, this summer, well, spring slash summer. And um, it was was at a good time. I was already considering making some sort of like career shift in my life, either to physical therapy or to something in strength and conditioning or fitness. And, you know, when I ended up getting laid off, um, it was such a blessing in disguise because it was it made the push for me to like look elsewhere and really make the the trigger of like changing your life because you really aren't happy doing fashion. And so long story short, I ended up working at a strength and conditioning gym and I loved it. And I've really completely worked from the ground up in terms of coaching. And so I got into running coaching really like probably six to eight months after I had been working at this gym. So the gym I work at right now is called Ramphone Training Systems. It's a small boutique performance facility um, where I live. And we initially um, specialized in like athletic training, kids, like high school kids, college kids. And lately we've been getting into a lot of um, adult fitness, um, just anything from like, I want to really deadlift heavy to I want to lose 20 pounds. Um, We don't get a ton of runners there. But in this whole like career evolution, I started doing running coaching and um, it's kind of taken off since. So I initially was part of McCurdy Train. Um, James was my coach and he knew that running coaching was something that I really wanted to do um, and asked if I wanted to join the team. And this was way back in 2016. And I said, sure. And he kind of showed me a t- I knew a, a lot of stuff already. I mean, I had coached a couple people, friends, and I knew the general concepts and understood the scientific principles, but I really just kind of dove in and he was a big mentor for me. And I stayed with McCurdy for about a year. And then after that, I kind of branched off. And, um, so I started my own company, Lift Run Perform in July, 2017. So like about a year after I joined, um, them. All right. One of the most common questions that we got was the following or some version of the following. Is it worth it to have a coach as a recreational runner? What factors should people consider when deciding between individual or group training? And how do you know when it's time to get a coach and how do you find one? First, if you're ready to listen to someone giving you advice, I think that's the biggest challenge is like being able to give up the reins and being like, yes, I'm going to put my trust into you. And even if you're not totally bought in right away, um, I think having that initial piece of trust of like, yes, I'm going to hand my training over to somebody. If you have that inclination, you're ready to trust someone. That is a great sign. I would also say like, if you have a big goal that you want to achieve, um, I know personally speaking, when I realized that I could maybe qualify for the Boston marathon, I decided to get a coach of my own and it was obviously life-changing because it's, it changed who I was as a runner. And then I've eventually started coaching myself. So I think if you are ready to give up the reins, if you want to really tackle a big goal, um, and in terms of like, I I know a lot of people are like, I'm too slow to have a coach and that's BS. I think anyone can have a coach. (laughs) I mean, it just depends on your, your willingness to train your, your willingness to put in work and like see how far you can go. Cause doesn't matter what your speed is. Like that's just, that's where you are today. Let's see how far you can go in the future. Ooh, that gave me goosebumps. I like that. <laughs> what should a person expect to pay for a run coach and what should they get for that price? It's really different um, per per coach, per person, per experience. Um, I worked with a coach once personally who gave me the best business advice and it was, you need to charge what you're worth. 
And he always said, don't negotiate um, because your time is precious. If you have results, if you have a resume, if you are compassionate, if you really care about what you do as a coach, um, don't budge on your pricing. And I will say like, you know, now that I've been doing this, I, I will typically we don't budge on pricing, especially being that it's a business that I run with other people. Um, but in terms of like, how much should I pay? It's so different. I think if you're a beginning coach and you don't really have that many people under your belt, I would honestly recommend asking if people, if you could train them for 50 bucks or even no cost. And then once you get a little bit more seasoned, you can start charging a little bit more. I, I saw somebody on the internet the other day that was charging like 200, um, which I don't truly, I don't think is too much. Um, and what do you get for that $200? Is that a custom plan? Is that in person? So I think this person was offering, um, like pretty much custom plan, unlimited text, unlimited emails, race day call. Um, I charge and our group charges 139 for a 12 month commitment and 159 for a six month, um, which we are total or per month per month. Okay. And then that's with, um, like, texting, um, custom program, race day phone call, pretty much like full access right now. We don't have like the only other quote level, I guess we have is group coaching, which is an entirely different ballgame. So I, I, I really think like communication is a big piece of it. Cause like, I think a lot of people and a lot, what I've seen from other coaches from pricing is like pricing out their communication levels. Like I've seen cheaper coaches, but they only communicate through email once a week. That's very different from what I do or from what some coaches I've seen do. So I think it just really matters. I think custom program is, of course, something that is a given for a coach. Um, Lifting depends. Um, I would say, so we charge an extra 10 bucks a month for that, and you can choose the month or months that you want to do that. Um, I mean, it really depends on the quality, too. I've seen some really, like, crappy lifting programs out there. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, God, people are charging for this. Um, But... (laughs) I know. Or, oh, God, people are paying for this. Well, not just paying, but also like subjecting themselves to this. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, I, so I think like lifting especially is like buyer beware because everyone's a specialist in lifting and nutrition. And like and I just I'm very keen on staying within your scope. Um, so like the lifting that I do and that we do, like I'm the only person that gives lifting advice, period. We have a coach who's a physical therapist. Sometimes she'll give somebody some, you know, you know, mobility stuff to do, which is fine. Like that's her profession. That's just a long-winded way of saying like in terms of like what you should get, custom programming is of course a given. Communication is going to differ per coach. Strength programming is also going to differ based on quality. I don't like what I've learned based on paying what you're worth and and like offering the value of what you're giving. Um, like that's why I charge extra for strength program, strength programming personally, because I spent a lot of time doing it. Um, I spent a lot of, you know, the past few years learning it. So I'm not just going to give it for free. So, um, that's just kind of my rationale about that. Awesome. How do you feel when your clients fail to meet their goals? Oh, it's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Why? It's just, I mean, I get it, but like, is is it on you or on them or what's, what's the emotion? Well, it, I mean, it just, it's so hard because you want it just as bad as the person running. And, um, it's just, there's nothing worse than, than being, getting a pit in your stomach over a bad race or a bad condition or a bad, like, that's what you hope, right? You hope that 
your athlete is okay. You hope that it wasn't an injury. You hope that it was just a bad weather day. You know what I mean? It was one of those controllable, those things that you can't control on a race day. Um, but it's just, as a coach, I think I like we get really invested and it's on a obviously programming perspective, but also personal. You start to know the people that you're coaching. And at this point I've coached several people for several years. So like getting their result is so, so huge. And, and, and it goes both ways, right? So like if someone from a time perspective, right? So if that's somebody's like goal is to run X time, that's a whole different ball game from, oh, she ran this and did well for the day that she was given and she achieved the goal. Like the goal depends if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from a strictly PR perspective, it's really tough when the goal isn't met, made. Um, but it's always a learning experience. Um, always a reason to understand like what went wrong, what we can do better, how I can go, how I can do things better, how they can do things better. Like it's, it is a two way street. I mean, obviously I'm not running. Um, I'm just there programming and then giving a race plan. But, um, I think it's, it's hard not to get invested. (laughs) What shoes do you run in? I'm running in the Vomero right now, the Nike Vomero. I've been switching with, the Pegasus, the Pegasus Turbo for like faster days. Um, but I'm really loving the Vomero. They just came out with a new one, which I'm like not ready to try because I don't like change. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love the Vomero. Who does your eyebrows? They are the best. Yeah, that's <laughs> the best comment I've ever gotten. Um, I, I honestly like these really sweet um, Indian women. Like they have this little... it's like a mom and pop shop around the corner from my house and I get them threaded. I really break out with the, with the wax. So I go get them threaded. I'm really bad. I get them done like twice a year. It's really gross. It's just, it's, it's filters. They're not really that good. Well, they look great. (laughs) With that, now that we know about your eyebrows and your shoes, let's get into the cross training and strength training portion of this episode. What are your top five must-do strength moves for runners? So I, so what I don't think a lot of people know is that there are five basic movement patterns of strength training. Those are push, pull, hinge, carry, squat. Said that in a weird order. Squat, hinge, push, pull, carry. So in terms of like what's the best for a runner, I'm going to say do the five basic movement patterns. And Everyone should be doing them, not just runners, a lacrosse player, a football player. We all should be moving better, moving like an athlete, squatting better, carrying better. Now, that said, in terms of like specific, I mean, runners typically will have a very weak posterior chain and then, you know, core. So any type of program that I make will put a focus on hip work, glute work, um, core work. That said, runners should be doing all of the things. So they should be incorporating squatting. They should be incorporating a hinge like a deadlift or a lunge um, or a single leg RDL. They should be incorporating a push-up or a a bench press um, or even a dumbbell bench press. And remember, like anytime you do any of this stuff, you're using your core. So like one of the biggest things that I learned when I started doing strength training was like you don't really need core work because every time you lift, it's working your core. And I didn't get that until I really started lifting myself. And I was the strongest I had ever been in my middle section and just in terms of like how I held myself. Um, But every single time you pick up a weight, think of what you do. You brace yourself. Like somebody's going to punch you in the gut. So um, yeah, sure, we can do planks and dead bugs and all that stuff. But every time you pick up a weight, you're, you're working your core. 
So I would say learn the five movement patterns, get really good at them, and then you can start loading them up. What are the best cross-training options for when you just can't with running? So (laughs) obviously, like, biomechanical laws play a factor, like, i.e., what simulates run? That's how I kind of read the question. Like, what simulates running? Mm-hmm. A- aqua jogging, sure. Um, I would say um, biking too, just because of the eccentric movement of what your legs are doing. That said, if you are relegated to cross training, do something you like <laughs> because you want to do it and enjoy it. Because we run because we love it. If you're cross training, it's either to supplement your training or you're injured both of which are not your preference running. So the first answer is do what you love. The second is if I had to say like what is most biomechanically synonymous with running, fine, aqua jogging, maybe biking, and then ellipticaling. But I don't know. I would go with what you love first. How many times a week is ideal for incorporating strength workouts? Um, I think for runners, um, it, I would – usually recommend two is fine. Um, there's a difference between like just doing simple maintenance work and then doing a true strength program, meaning you're really loading up and do like you're squatting heavier. You're, you're picking up a big dumbbell to do a lunge, um, versus your typical, you're doing your dead bugs. You're doing your clamshells. You're doing your monster walk. That is just easy maintenance. Like you can do that in front of the TV. Um, so I would usually say two times a week for strengths. Um, if you're injured, throw it in the third day, three days of lifting is kind of a lot, but there's no reason not to do it. But you also have to remember timing and it depends on like where you are with training too. And is that the same with someone asked, how often should you be strength training while marathon training? Yeah. Like that's going to get, that gets a little hairy because obviously the, the more you go on, the tougher it is to fold in lifting workouts with your mileage. And truly, yes, I do emphasize strength training. But at the same time, if you are training for a marathon and your priority is to get in marathon specific work, yes, sometimes you will have to abandon the lifting in order to get your runs in. So like, it's hard because those last like four to six weeks leading up to a marathon, the goal is really like recover. Sometimes that means don't lift. Sometimes that means sleep. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's it gets a little tricky. The people who have unlimited time, the elites, people who can nap, people who can like wedge it all in and feel recovered, great. Like keep the keep up two days a week all throughout marathon training. But it does just because we're human, it gets very difficult in the like the weeks leading up to it. So I usually say do your best. Even one day is fine um, if you can, but it's it's harder. How often should you change the exercises in your strength routine or should you just change reps and sets? That's like a whole programming paradigm. <laughs> paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, it just depends what your goal is. Um, like a lot of the programs I make are hypertrophy, which means muscle building. So like that would mean going into all the philosophies of like periodization and why, and like how and why. So I can't like really go into that. I mean, in terms of like, what I will typically make, like I'll put people with me on monthly strength programs and they change every month. So meaning you're doing the same thing for f- four to five weeks and the sets and set and rep schemes change. You have to think about every time you change a rep scheme, you are intentionally trying to load up more weight. So for example, 
if my second and third week I'm squatting six times and I'm doing four reps, maybe by the time I get to my fourth week, I'm going to want to squat five times, but only three sets of that. But I'm going to go up maybe five to 10 pounds in the weight. Does that make sense? Yeah, so like totally. the intention of, of, of weight training is always to get, well, not always, but oftentimes to gain muscle and to lift a little bit more. So, um, that's like without going into a massive rabbit hole, like <laughs> you want to, like I would, the biggest recommendations I would give are stick with a plan. Don't just pick random exercises just because they seem fun. Like training should be boring. Training should be monotonous. Lifting is the same way. Like do the same things twice a week. See how strong you get. Oh, like As that. runners, it's it's such a low-hanging fruit for us. You're going to see gains if you stick to it for three, four weeks. You just have to be consistent and you have to do the same thing. And you will surprise yourself because it's the one thing that all of us really don't do. And we have so much room to grow, just physiologically speaking, because we have such a deep aerobic base. Time for a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Strava. As I'm getting back into running since that whole having a baby thing, I don't want to be bothered wearing a GPS watch, but I do like knowing how fast and far I run when I get out there. That's why I'm using my very favorite app, Strava, on my phone, and why this time I'm going all in by using Strava Summit. Consider Strava Summit to be a kicked up version of the Strava you know and love. Strava is already the best app for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. You get all that juicy post-run data, like a route map, mile splits, elevation, and more, with an added social aspect. Think Instagram meets GPS device. It's so fun. The Strava app is free, and for just a few dollars a month, you can get access to Summit features, including training plans, live performance data, and the beacon tracking feature. Go to strava.com slash summit, and use code on the run to get your first month of Strava Summit free. That's strava.com slash summit using code on the run. Now let's get back to Mary Johnson. All right, let's jump into the running specific advice. We're gonna like rapid fire through these because there's a lot of good questions in here. Mm-hmm. So first up, what is your best advice for a beginner? Consistency. Just get out there consistently. Make sure you're not overdoing it. So you want to focus on, and this is something I'll probably repeat again, but if you consider what load is, load is frequency and intensity or time. It's three variables. So yes, consistency, but at the same time, if you haven't run a lick in your life, don't go out and run five days a week. It's not a good idea. Um, You want to focus on probably every other day and keeping up with three to four days of running um, with a day of of recovery in between. And then every two-ish weeks, change one of those variables to increase. Only increase one variable at a time. When you increase too many variables, that's when people get hurt, you feel like crap, things are weird. So um, I would say consistency, but also intentional consistency. What is the biggest mistake runners make when training? They, They don't sleep. Just sleep. It's the best type of recovery you can get. It just... Try to get eight eight hours, seven and a half to nine hours. Um, it's the best thing you can do for yourself and your body. For marathon training plans, do you recommend working with speed or endurance first, or both at the same time? So I usually the way I program now, it's not how I've always trained, um, but I saw the most success. 
I have people that have seen a lot of success. So typically, I will do speed first, meaning things like economy work, so strides, hills, working on the basics for four to six weeks early on and not really getting into much anything over 5K pace until you're like pretty competent and strong. Um, And then typically as you go further into the cycle, I'll fold in more marathon specific work, paces and work that resemble 10K training, Uh, not 10K training, but 10K pacing. But right off the bat, like hills and strides and economy work are really underutilized. Um, It's something that I'm doing more in my programs. Um, And I'm from a personal standpoint, I'm seeing benefits of focusing on making fast running easier. So make like really taking an intentional four to six week period and just hammering strides three, two to three times a week and then moving on from there. To get faster, how often should I do speed work and what's the most efficient speedy workout? I mean, there's not like one blanket <laughs> workout. I think fart licks are awesome. So just going out and like doing a minute on, two minutes off um, and kind of building from there, like fart licks are, are great, especially because they're very effort or, well. They should be effort oriented. You can start with a minute on, two minutes off. Remember, like if you consider the time on, you also can dabble with your rest time. So if you haven't done speed work ever, then maybe you want to give yourself a three to one ratio. So three minutes of rest to one minute on. Um, If you're pretty fit, you can go all the way up to 15, even 20 reps. If you're, I wouldn't say elite level, but like a more advanced level um, of a of a minute on a minute off even um, because you you're more competent of recovering. So um, I would say playing with time on and off is like what I do a lot for people in the beginning. Um, and how often I would just make sure you get enough time to recover. I used to train um, under somebody who gave me like a day to recover and it was miserable. <laughs> um, and I, and of course, got hurt. Um, so I, now I usually give people at least two, if not three days, depending on the person. Um, if you're a little bit older, you are going to need more time to recover. It's just the way it works. So keep that in mind. Is the 10% rule really the golden rule for beginners? If not, what's the appropriate amount to run? And can you briefly explain the 10% rule for anyone who's not familiar? Yeah. So the 10% rule is just that you should be only increasing your mileage 10% each week as a general rule of thumb. It's a little antiquated. Um, and it's something that I have not used in a while. Um, if, if you're literally brand new to running, um, every two weeks, I would say you can make a little bit of a jump. Um, but in terms of like what the appropriate amount to run or what to do and what I do, um, typically, so the body will adapt every two to three weeks-ish. And I kind of follow the Jack Daniels method of mileage increase, which is you assume that the body's adapting every two to three weeks. And instead of doing a 10% increase each week, you keep mileage steady. So let's say we're at 35. We're running five days a week at 35 miles for three, three, three to four weeks consistently. After that third week, I'm going to jump my mileage up as many days as I can run consistently. So I'm going to go, and because I am a little conservative, I usually give it like four weeks. So I'm going to have someone run 35 miles per week for four weeks. After that fourth week, if they ran five days consecutively, I'm going to jump their mileage from 35 to 40. But remember, going back to the whole like you only tinker with one like piece of load, 
if I'm going to tinker with someone's mileage, you also don't tinker with the speed work. You don't tinker mm-hmm. with how often, like it's one variable at a time that if you, if I did increase someone's speed workout, like let's say they're only doing 15 minutes of 5k effort a week. If I increase their mileage to 40 miles per week, and I also brought their, um, the amount at quality time up from 15 minutes to 20, then I'm kind of like tiptoeing in a danger zone where they're, they'll probably be okay, but why risk it? So, um, that's like how I would do a safe increase. You don't want to increase everything at once and mileage. You really are stronger than you think. You can make a big jump in mileage. Just make sure you hang at a certain level for a while before you make any jump. What tips do you have for a first-time marathoner? Going back to consistency and also sleep. Um, I When I trained for my first marathon, I remember saying, just get your long runs in. And that was my goal as a first-timer. This is way back when. Um, <laughs> but now I really, um, I think the long run's a little bit um, pumped up too much. So I think being able to string together consistent mileage if you can run consistently so I have some people that can only run three to four times a week in which case for them I say yeah make sure you get that long run in um so I think it depends for everyone but I would say stay consistent with your mileage I saw and I've seen people make big marathon jumps when they can keep their mileage higher longer and slow down the miles so that's like so important Obviously, the more tired you are, the more you'll want to slow down. But um, if you are going to hang at, at mileage that you've never been at before, you're going to have to slow way down. All right. This was a popular question. Is treadmill running as good as outdoor running? Good is a relative term. It's not the same, but it's wonderful because the treadmill is an awesome tool. Um, it is not like there's actually a recent study in the past couple of years that suggested that the biggest difference between outdoor and treadmill running um, shockingly enough, cause I, I know people are like, it bothers my knees. Um, and it, it definitely might, but it's the angle at which your ankle hits. So people who have chronic ankle issues or, um, Achilles issues, the treadmill is going to be rough. So knowing that and knowing that it is just a good tool, um, I highly encourage people that if that's the only option, hell yeah, use it. If the option is to don't go out versus use the treadmill, go use the treadmill. That's fine. A lot of people have questions about the 1% rule, meaning do I have to stick my or stick my treadmill at a 1% incline? The answer is, again, it depends. Um, there was a study done, I would say maybe 10 years ago, that said that there was the, like the biggest difference was right around um, a seven-minute mile. So it depends on what pace you're going. The faster you go, the more the incline is going to matter. But the takeaway from the study was that at around eight, at, at around the eight minute pace, there was virtually no difference between outdoor running than the treadmill. So keep that in mind. I mean, a lot of people might run slower. A lot of people might run faster than an eight minute pace. But knowing that eight was that like place where it really didn't matter if you were at one percent. Um, just know that like I tinker with it just because it's like fun. <laughs> like it's cool to keep me op- keep you occupied, but you have to remember first of all not all treadmills are calibrated the same. Um the the air resistance is basically one of the largest factors between indoor and and outdoor running. Um and then perceived exertion is like kind of the rule of thumb of what you need to go by on a treadmill. 
I have someone who trains on this really old creaky treadmill. And I'm like, M, just go by effort. And that's what she does. She does all her workouts based on how she should feel in the workout. Um, and she's mentally happier. Her workouts are awesome. She's not nervous going into anything because she goes and she's just doing the best for the day she's given. So I think just going into any treadmill thing with knowing that you're going to do it based on how you feel is the best rule of thumb. Garmin's are sometimes will match up. I know you guys like to see Garmin's matching up perfectly. I literally just had a conversation with someone I coached last night. She was like, it's off by 0.4. I'm like, I know. Don't wear your Garmin. Like, it's going to drive you crazy. If that's your dilemma, go buy the treadmill, not the Garmin. What is the worst thing you can do while training for a marathon? Panic early. That happens all the time. Like, inevitably, (laughs) three to four months out from the marathon, everyone that we're coaching is like, oh my God, I'm not running enough miles. I need to run more than 15 miles a week and, or 15 um, miles is a long run. And that, at which point we usually have the sit down of like, no, chill, <laughs> chill. Um, I would also say comparing yourself because nowadays everyone's looking at what everyone else is doing and posting it everywhere. So um, that's a really big trap, especially if you're a first timer, like do your own training, get in your own own routine. Long runs are super like, I don't know. They're just not, they're not as important as, as what you might think. High mileage is cool, but like do your own thing and have confidence in what you're doing. And if you don't know, hire a coach or talk to somebody about what you're doing. I love this next question. How easy should my easy runs be? It's going to depend. Typically I would (laughs) recommend, um, around two to two and a half minutes slower than your 5k pace that said it's gonna depend on a lot of stuff such as did you do a workout the day before did you get enough sleep are you stressed out that's something that a lot of people don't think about stress is stress your body doesn't get the difference between the stress of your aunt bertha being sick and you being stressed out about it versus the stress of a track workout. Yes, the demand on your body is going to be a little bit different from a like a output perspective, but your body still just sees this as one big bucket of stress. And you have to remember that if you're not sleeping, if you've got a lot of stuff going on at work, you might have to slow down even more than two and a half minutes and that's okay. Now on the flip side, if you are just doing easy mileage, if you are just doing a couple days with strides, which is what a lot of people I coach do, um, at least right in the beginning of the cycle, you might want to go a little bit faster than two minutes. In which case, I would say, don't make it a practice. But if you feel good, just go out and run. The point is to run carefree, easy, joyfully. Remember, even when you're running, your body knows stress. So if you're just able to go out and enjoy your run and keep it truly just Like, it feels so cheesy if I'm like, keep it joyful. But like, really, just make it easy and light. Um, That's the point. So if if you really want to be like, how slow should it be? Fine, two to two and a half minutes slower than your 5K pace. Be honest about where your fitness is now. Your 5K pace today might be different than it was three years ago. (laughs) Let's just be okay with that. Um, In both ways, right? Like, you could be faster, you could be slower. But above all, listen to your body on both ways. You can go a little bit faster and you'll be okay. You can go a little bit slower and you'll be okay. All right. Well, this question's similar then. How do you determine pace during long runs? 
that's going to depend on your intention of the run. So if the run, if you want to do specific paced miles in there, then you're probably going to have instructions for what you're going to want to do, such as like I, there's a lot of, I'm the more I coach, the more significance I see in moderate paced runs, meaning marathon pace plus 20 to 30 seconds. So like what I don't recommend is going out and just hammering your marathon pace the entire run. That's not a good idea, but going out and like almost simulating a marathon, right? Like warming up for a couple of miles, doing a few miles at marathon pace plus 30, marathon pace plus 20, and like kind of hacking down from there is a really good strategy. Um, I, Allie Kiefer um, posted her training after New York last year and she, I it took some time and I looked at it and she had a lot of moderate pace miles in there. So I think there's, I think marathon pace is, can be like people thinking they need to do tons of work at marathon pace might be not as important. And I've heard some well-known coaches talk about that too. But I think the the point of going out and like just being able to be tired for a long time, also practicing nutrition. So being at, so like not, not this isn't me necessarily answering the question, but like being at a pace that's kind of weird for you and being able to feed yourself is important too. So like if you have a hard time digesting and eating and chewing or whatever the method you do, I would intentionally go out and make sure you have miles that are faster so you can practice all of that because if you're not able to intake calories, then you're not going to have a good run. Great advice. What is the minimum mileage per week you can get away with while marathon training? <laughs> I mean, that's going to be different for everyone, <laughs> of course. Um, I, I would recommend um, like going uh, like favoring time on your feet versus mileage. So um, like someone who's a little bit slower, an eight mile run will be very different from someone who can go out and just skip through an eight mile run at eight minute pace. So that is super important, especially for the long run. There are many people that I've coached that I've never had them do a run longer than three hours and they may be cleared 17, 18 miles. That's it. Reason being from a long run perspective, the suggestive like detriments of any runs longer than three hours are worse than any type of physiological benefit um, at that three-hour mark. Now, that said, if I've also had people who only run three days a week, yes, I do have them run longer than three hours because they have to. They're only running three days a week. So I think mileage-wise, it just depends on what you can do. Also, what your experience was. If it's your first marathon, and let's say you're super comfortable at like 20 to 30 miles, I don't know. I would maybe try to get up to the, uh, I don't, everyone's just so different. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, everyone's just really different. Mileage is just, it's too difficult for me to just have a blanket statement of like, go to 45 miles right. and just stick there. You know what I mean? Cause it's just 45 miles is going to look a lot different for a 4:30 marathoner than it is a 3:30 marathoner. What is your opinion on overtraining syndrome? Is it a real thing? And how do you move past it? Hell yeah, it's a real thing. It yeah. <laughs> I was going to chime in and say, if you said no, I was going to be like, uh, I'd like to share my story. No, it's, fuck, it's the worst. <laughs> um, it's really, it, it is a thing. And, and it's like one of those things that you don't really know until you're over it. And then you're like, shit, I just was really screwed up. So I, yeah, my opinion is that it, it is a real thing. It's terrible. It's tough to know while you're in it that it's happening, um, mostly because of ego. Like, I feel like it takes a lot of perspective to step back and be like, oh, I really need to stop. 
I don't know. I, I think like you can Google any symptom of overtraining and it pretty much nails it. I know from a personal perspective, a lot of mine, when I was tiptoeing on the line, um, I started having a ton of GI issues. Couldn't even go out for a 30-minute run without needing to Im- urgently use the bathroom. Mm, same. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously the other givens like injury, um, not feeling motivated, tired, like all of those are symptoms as well. Um, but I think the best thing you can do is just kind of say it's not the end of the world and you just need some time away. You need to rest and like – I wouldn't call it a badge of honor by any means, but we all make mistakes in training, right? Like we need mental breaks. We need injury breaks. We need overtraining breaks. I'm not saying that overtraining is a staple of training at all. I don't think it is. But um, if you find yourself in an overtraining tango, then take a step back and try to prioritize other stuff, Um, not necessarily exercise related um, because your body just wants to chill. Overtraining tango actually makes it sound kind of fun. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) All right. No, thanks. (laughs) The last category of questions we have are are specific to racing. So let's talk racing. Um, And again, you know, the disclaimer, a lot of these are pretty specific, but let's jump in. How do I choose a goal or target time? It depends where you are, of course, um, in terms of – so – Obviously, age is important, um, but you also have to think of training age. So age is different from training age. Training age is where you are in your training lifespan. For example, if you played a sport in high school and then you continued to play a sport in college and then you continued to take up running, even if you took like a year off, your training age is pretty high because you've trained since you were 12 or 13. Not to say you consistently train, but you have a lot of, you've got some time under your belt versus the person who maybe did a sport in high school, partied in college, didn't find running for a few years out of college, your training age is going to be a lot lower. So you have to put that into perspective. Um, but also, like, how do I choose a goal? I, I don't know. Like, it, it just depends on, like, first of all, how much time you have to train. So if you have a big pie in the sky goal, you can try to hit it. Like, you know, there is a genetic barrier everyone has it. But I've spoken with um, my own coach. I've talked to some some other people that I truly think that you hit your mental barrier before you ever hit your genetic barrier. So if you are, a, and I think this is a later question, but like if you do have a lofty goal and you maybe are like a 430 marathoner and you want to be cute, I wouldn't say no, it's out of the question. I think it will depend on your age, your training age, how much time you have to commit to training how much you're willing to change your lifestyle because that's important too. If you really want to change your lifestyle and if, like if running is just something you do for an hour every day, then you it, and yet you want to be cute, you might need to reorganize what you do if that makes sense. I mean, obviously look at people who qualify for the Olympic trials. A large part of what their life looks like is training. So, do you need to do that to be cute? Maybe because that's just what you need. Now is that realistic? No. Not many people have the luxury of doing that, which is why most people don't. But if you have the luxury of, of, you know, running a lot, going to rehab, like being able to go to the chiropractor, being able to have really great nutrition all the time, uh, getting nine hours of sleep every night, like 
pick, pick a crazy goal, like pick a 15 minute goal. But typically like chipping away at the little goals are, is pretty reasonable. Um, when I coach people, I don't even talk that much about goals in the beginning. It's not really till we're really into training and anything can happen both ways. Like you can set a goal that's just too easy or you can set a goal that's too lofty. So I like talking about goals when we're a little further along training, just because we have a better perspective of what the, what realistically the race will look like. All right. You mentioned this question was coming. Yeah. I'm a 445 marathoner. Is a BQ possible, which would be 330 for this person's age? What do I need to do? Yeah. I mean, going back to, to truly like how much time you have to train, like, can you really train a lot? I would also make a timeline, right? Like, I don't think, so it depends, like, it depends if that 445 was your first marathon, it depends the conditions, it depends how you're training, you know what I mean? So that's the first thing I would look at and understand, like, how you can optimize yourself for training based on your current result. From there, I mean, I would look at what, like, can you actually map out a year to, to, to break this barrier or even two years? I wouldn't necessarily be like, I'm going to hit it in my next marathon. That can be a little aggressive. Um, but again, chip away at it, like pick, pick, pick a goal that's lofty, but it makes sense based on your results. Again, like I think genetic barriers is a thing. Um, but first we don't know how, how far we can push your training. So I would, I don't know anything about this person's training at all. Um, but maybe if you're only running four days a week, let's add in a fifth day, like start getting more comfortable running, like being on your feet more. That's the, that's the key with running, especially long running, like getting comfortable being on your feet. Um, and then in terms of what do you need to do? If you haven't done any type of quality work yet, Remember, like you got to start with economy work like strides, hills. I would definitely keep at least one hill workout in your program every single month. Um, and then eventually, once you feel strong enough, you can start folding in things like tempos and um, like longer bouts of uncomfortable running. But that's like a speed progression in terms of like what I would do. Um, and then look at your nutrition. I've had people marathons, the game, the game has totally changed when they learn how to eat better. Um, and that goes for on the run and also in life. So if you think you need to eat a little bit more, like speak to a professional who knows about that, um, and understand what your body needs to perform better. Um, also while you're running, I usually recommend calories or carbs every 30 to 40 minutes with water that has been such a game changer for so many of even my like faster girls, like they've, the game has completely changed when they've started eating in the run. Um, and then remember like the gut is trainable too. So if you go into a cycle or go into something and you have a hard time eating, um, you can teach yourself how to eat. You can teach yourself to tolerate the, the, the complexity of, of carbs. Uh, it takes some time, but it's practice. So it's tough to say like timeline for this person, Stuff to say if it is possible because I don't know anything about your training, but why not make a crazy goal? Yeah. Just be, be reasonable in terms of like be re- reasonable and realistic in terms of like understanding that it's going to take a lot of work. All right, I'm having trouble breaking through 20 minutes in the 5K. How can I get faster? There again, it it just depends. I don't know what you're working on. I think 
the short stuff, like I would break training down altogether, like take an entire season, even step away from stuff that are longer than like a mile repeat and really hammer the turnover and hammer. Like, have you ever really gotten into just anaerobic stuff? Like doing hundred, not even hundred, but like very fast 20 second strides often. Um, I would look at that. I would look at hill work. I would look at just really really terrible short speed stuff. It sucks. <laughs> I remember when I was learning how to run, I, I just, Oh God, I actually have some old videos of like learning how to, how to run faster. And I just, it's just, it's crazy. Cause your body does learn, but it takes some time and you had, you do have to teach it. So I would suspect that you need to learn how to move faster. And that means doing a lot of two hundreds, doing a lot of one hundreds, maybe a 400, but like really spending some dedicated time down in the short region. But remember, you're not going to go from like a few weeks of like 200 repeats to your 5k. That's not going to work either. Like you have to progress it and it is going to take time. So you're not, you might not break that 20, 23 minute, like you might not go to 21 minutes overnight. Um, but if you do spend a dedicated four week period, really hammering on, on that anaerobic, um, the, the faster twitch muscles, you will start seeing slight changes when you move to the next cycle of of incorporating in some some um, threshold work. All right, we got a lot of questions specific to returning to exercise after being pregnant. A lot of, you know, I gave birth in October, want to run my first marathon. How long do I need to train? Obviously, with that, we're going to get into it depends. How was your delivery? How was your pregnancy and all that? So is there just any blanket advice you can give about women coming back to running after being pregnant? It's going to be, I mean, of course, it's going to be different. I even was talking to a close friend about the recommended, the recommended like six week um, from a doctor. Like I've, she was mentioning how like her doctor um, was kind of like, no, you don't need six weeks. You can actually start sooner. Um, Obviously I'm not a mother myself. um, So I can't speak to it on terms of like what I've done, but like, I think the rule of thumb always is to go from what your doctor says in terms of, and then of course, like how you feel. Um, I don't like, I can't, I'm not a professional and I'm not a a pelvic floor specialist and I don't know enough to say whether six weeks is, is good or bad because I just, I'm, that's not my expertise. Um, however, I think that the importance of pelvic floor health is undervalued and, you know, understanding diastis recti and understanding, you know, how like peeing your pants while running isn't normal. So I think being able to either, if you know some of the rehab exercises yourself, taking dedicated time to make sure you you feel strong, or if you don't know, going to a pelvic floor specialist or a, a pelvic or a, P, a PT, like a women's PT, um, and working on that, I think that's super important. So there isn't a blanket of like, you should return it X time. Um, it, it depends. It also depends. Um, like I worked with someone for a while who, um, was breastfeeding and she ended up, she did develop a stress fracture and it was one of those things where she was like, I forgot to tell you, (laughs) I'm still breastfeeding and I don't take vitamins. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) and, and, and eventually, like ultimately what had happened was I didn't know that I treated her not, I mean, I don't know if how I would have done her programming differently, but I think that the fact was that like she really needed to be supplementing with something 
and or and or at least had that conversation with their doctor of like I'm breastfeeding and I'm running and I'm training for a marathon. So if there are newer moms listening like in your training, be very wary of like just it's not like you can't do it. Just make sure you're taking the right supplementation, whether it's calcium or iron or whatever. Talk to your doctor about it because that is something that's easy to forget because, you know, you just, you know, you feed your baby or you pump and then you go out the door. But remember, like that is like, that's a huge thing. <laughs> like your body is producing food for, for a being. So I think making sure that everything's supported is really important. Um, so that's my, that's my bit on that. <laughs> I love that. And one thing that I've learned from recording, you know, a hundred and 15 something episodes of the Alley on the Run show. Something that I've heard a lot from women is I've heard a lot of women say they returned to running too soon, including, you know, Kara Goucher. People saying, oh, I returned too soon. Then I got this injury or then, you know, this bad thing happened. I've never once talked to a woman who said she wished she had started running sooner. Okay, so the last thing that I want to know from you is just give me a blanket statement. What is your single best piece of advice for any runner? I would say to maintain the goal, the joy and like the happiness of running and remember why we do it. And, you know, we have goals that we want to chase and we have marathons and we have all these things that we want to accomplish. But I think as with a lot of things in life, if you can go back to the original reason why you first started doing it, whether it was to find yourself or whether it was to give yourself some me time or um, whatever, um, I think remembering why we do it is really important. And that when you are feeling like you are run down or when you are feeling that you're just, ugh, I don't want to get out, out for the run, they're not all easy. Even professionals have the hard days, but like at the end of it, it does all pay off and we do it because we love it because we like to spend time with our friends that run and it does become a social thing. It does become a a one-on-one, a personal thing. So I think as tired as you are remembering to the joy of why you love running and why you love training, um, it's important to find. And if you're struggling finding that, then maybe it's time to take a break. There's nothing wrong ever with taking a break from running. It's always there. It doesn't go anywhere. Your body doesn't forget. (laughs) It's going to be there and there's tons of stuff you can do in the meantime to to just make yourself feel good before you get back into running. So I think it can be scary to step away and like scary to be like, oh my God, it, it doesn't doesn't do it like it, it used to in terms of like making me happy. That's cool. Just step away, take some time, get back into it when you find the joy again and when you have the itch. And that's the most important part is having the itch because the itch won't find you. You need to it, 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 it's there when it's ready. So the more you try to push for it, the harder it's going to be. That is wonderful advice. All right, Mary, before I let you go, tell everyone where they can find you if they're looking for some coaching or some inspiration. Uh, my business is called Lift Run Perform. So you can find us at liftrunperform.com. Um, we have an Instagram that's not really kept up. Um, it's it, Lift Run Perform. Um, personally, I'm on Instagram as It's a Marathon. I run a um, blog called It's a Marathon. I post maybe twice a year. Sorry. Um, my email is mary at liftrunperform.com. So if you have specific questions or if you are one of the people that had a question and you're not happy with how I answered it or you want to talk more <laughs> to me, shoot me an email. I'm pretty I, – I love I – love, talking and I love, you know, I love helping people and 
um, yeah, so if you have questions, please lean on me as a resource and let me know how I can help. Amazing. Mary, you are the best. I've loved picking your brain. We're going to definitely do this again. And I wish you all kinds of luck, love, and good stuff in 2019. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Mary, for the expertise and enthusiasm and for kicking off Allie and the Experts Week. And thank you for tuning in. I hope you learned a ton and are excited to get strong, run long, and take the best possible care of your bodies on the run. You can follow Mary on Instagram at it's a marathon, cute, right? And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allie on the Run One and on the Allie on the Run Facebook page. Check back tomorrow when we'll be talking nutrition with registered dietitian Kelly Hogan. Gluten and macros and celery juice, oh my! Before I sign off, let's give it up for Strava for making Allie and the Experts Week possible. Go to strava.com/summit and use code on the run to get your first month free. That's strava.com slash summit using code on the run for a month free with a purchase of an annual summit subscription. Six days to go. Subscribe and thanks for joining me on the run.